Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brandon Lee Mulligan. With me today we have the incredible Marisha Ray! Huzzah! 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 Marisha is the creative director and a cast member of Critical Role. Never heard of it. I never heard of it. Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, Marisha, oh my God, we're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks Uh, for having me. Of course. Um, Well, uh, Marisha, we've already been talking before the show uh, jumped in and got started. Um, But I want to talk a little bit. This is our all things TTRPG uh, podcast we do here at College Humor. Hell yeah. Um, And I wanted to talk because uh, uh, Matt Mercer, you may have heard of him, Mm. um, was just in a sort of (laughs) one-shot adventure we're doing, and you ran some wildly popular, (laughs) extremely fun, insane one-shots for the Critical Role channel, uh, uh, which were the Honey Heist Adventures. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So fun and insane, and I love them. Thank Uh, you. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the impetus of like running that game, running a non D and D thing on this channel that was devoted to this long running D and D game, and kind of what drew you to that, and also the creative choices that you made uh, embarking on this fun game master journey. Yeah. Oh man, the great thing about Honey Heist and like the way that I kind of tried to approach it is that it's a cartoon. <laughs> Like it's just a cart. You can. It's bears in hats trying to pull heists. So you have to you have to be aware <laughs> of that. Um, and then I I love puns. So I so much so much of those games were simply based on puns. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. I, I'd say it's definitely different than. Building out, you know, a D and D campaign where you're trying to get that drama or the suspense, and I mean, you want that in Honey Heist too, just like you know, it would be in a in any other cartoon sure. <laughs> or, or game. Um, but yeah, it was. It's definitely you have to resign to the more wacky approach for well, sure. What I love about something you just said on there in terms of like this is a cartoon is. There's still actually a definitiveness and a concreteness. And when you watch those one shots, you see the internal logic of the world. Like living in a (laughs) cartoon world doesn't mean no logic. Correct. I think about it a lot with how people talk about grammar when they talk about correct grammar versus incorrect grammar. And what's interesting is that people will actually, like linguists often say like, when you're talking about dialectical English, like if you take like a Cockney thing, like like if you say the correct is like, we haven't had a meal in a long time. And then you have someone say, we ain't had a meal in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct grammar for yes. a different dialect. A hundred percent. And when you're running Honey Heist, you see like, oh, are the laws of physics or the laws of consequence somewhat changed? Maybe they're different from normal Critical Role or a normal D&D game, but they are internally consistent. Yes, absolutely. Context is everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you still have those rules and the kind of established things, but the rules are that you're a talking bear. So you kind of, you set certain boundaries but especially in something with that game i mean they're they're there to be broken mm-hmm. but yeah like yeah. yeah 100% i agree with what you said there's still right. logic there's still logic yes. right roadrunner can 
fly across the cliffs because he believes in himself. Wiley e. Coyote will look down and doubt himself, and that's what makes and that's him, what makes him fall. Right. right, and that might not be our real world physics, but it is a cogent physics nonetheless. We can follow it, we can track it. And, 100%. Um, uh, I may have brought this up on the podcast before, but there's a great thing, I think about this a lot when I look at like both the, the original Honey Heist stuff and then the the one, the, the all-lady Honey Heist yeah, as well, yeah. which is so fun. <laughs> but there's a scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit where he's, Roger Rabbit is handcuffed to uh, uh, Bob Hoskins' character, and they're handcuffed and they can't get apart and can't get apart, and they finally get to this closet with this metal saw, and the table is wobbly, and Roger Rabbit's slips out of it yeah. to help hold the table and the detective's like you could have gotten out of these handcuffs at any time and Roger Rabbit goes only when it was funny yeah <laughs> yeah I know exactly the scene you're talking about it's yeah true. it's really true and yeah. I and I would argue that even in the most like intense form of D&D games often that is true as well mm -hmm. where like fantasy has its own physics bending things where sure. you know what I mean where like oh like I will be much more likely to set a lower DC for a skill check if a scene is like momentous and part of a character's arc yeah. rather than them dicking around doing some bullshit where those DCs will suddenly just skyrocket. Right, right, right. It, yeah. The the role playing into everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, Matt will do the same thing with us mm -hmm. on Critical Role. You know, if you he does take into account, you know, if you're trying to talk to an NPC and you're trying to persuade them or you're trying to do something and if you're just like, yeah, yeah I persuade them, then like how, what, what are you doing? How do you, how do, you do that? Mm -hmm. um, but if you do some good wordsmithing yeah. and you have a good little pitch, he'll bring that DC lower. And I mean, and the same thing kind of happens with... Um, with Honey Heist, you know, mm -hmm. in the in the all ladies on the all honeys Honey Heist, and I gave them that GPS tracker. If you remember that like weird fakey, you know, glow bear positioning system, uh, puns. See, everything's fun, and um, it was just supposed to be a just a silly prop that help some track things. Next thing you know, they're like, I use this to disarm the car and I use it to do this and I want to, can I use this to hack the thing? And I'm like, this is not what any of that was intended for, but... Big DM mood. But, DM yeah, mood. yeah, yeah. But I... I liked the, the creativity of the ideas of how they were trying to use it. Uh, Christina, who was the hacker, she's a hacker. So, like, if you know, okay, if you want to use a a GPS and hack in to see if you can hack coordinates or hack a code, like, yeah, I'll allow it. It's uh, the it's the I'll allow it rule. It is so much better for someone running a game to have that I'll allow it mentality because I I often feel the relationship between a dungeon master and the dice is the good cop bad cop relationship. Oh, for sure. And yeah. you know, it's always so much better and easier as a DM. Let's say for whatever reason, you're looking at a proposed course of action from a PC, and for whatever reason in your head, you're like, you're, you suspect like either that might be 
unsatisfying for the overall story, even yeah. if it would be very empowering in this one moment for this PC, or you're just like, this will fuck my shit up. Like if they catch the bad guy right now, I'm toast. This whole right. story crumbles or whatever. <laughs> right, right. In those instances, rather than giving a hard no, I would almost always rather be like, well, let's see what the dice have to say. And then you just hit that. Because I've almost never had a, I have often had a PC get like grumpy about not getting, not being given a chance. Sure. I've never seen a PC grumble about a high A difficulty. dice roll, right, exactly. Even if, yeah. I've even looked at someone and been like, hit a nat 20 and I'll let it happen. Yeah. And there's almost never a fuss, partially because they appreciate being given a chance and also yeah. partially because PCs always think they're gonna hit that nat 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so true. You're like, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is gonna, oh, watch this shit. Watch this. This is amazing. But yeah, I, um, it's such an excellent point that you're making there. Because uh, at the end of the day, you still have to be cognizant that it's a game and that we're all here to to have fun. And part of the reason that we that people play tabletop games is because you can be creative with these rules. You can kind of bend things a little bit within the reality. You know, if you wanted to be told no, you can't do something, then just you can go play a video game and have no, no, because yeah. you're trying to like climb walls and yeah. the, your player character doesn't want you to. So like, y there are plenty of situations to be told no. And that, I mean, it's so much too why we tell people who often ask how, well, what should I do to try and improve some of my DMing skills, take an improv class. That yes and. It's huge. It's huge, it works. And you know, it's not to say, like, to your point, that there's not gonna be times where you're like, yeah, you're, this is, there's, there's no feasible way that what you're talking about can work. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, yeah, I think people would be surprised. You can say yes to so much. And there's also an Aikido element mm -hmm. to things. Let's say that somebody wants to do something where you're like, ooh, for whatever reason, I, either I think this is ill-advised or there's, or allowing them to do this would so fundamentally alter the nature of the stakes and consequences that I've had. Yeah. Uh, there's always a way to reorient energy, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say someone does make that climb check or whatever, um, uh, and they get out of one situation. Well, maybe you narrate that they climb out of this one puzzle or trap or whatever, poke their head out, and there's a whole army of bad guys waiting for them. So they got what they wanted, they rolled yeah. their high roll, and you're like, and here's what you find now. Here's your consequences. As, yeah. a, as a DM, I think as a dungeon master, the biggest thing you have to do is take as many losses as possible, because you're like the house in Vegas, where it's like, okay, oh, yeah. if you beat me now, watch what happens next. Yeah, yeah. Don't, like, why are you pushing back against what your PCs want in the moment? You control the next moment. Let them win right now, yeah. and then do your Xanatos thing of like, <laughs> all's going according to, to plan. Yeah. <laughs> right? Why not? Um, that's so fun. Yeah. Uh, when you made the, when you started doing the Honey Heist things, mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the things we often get a lot is trepidation from people in our Discord that ask questions about, like, am I ready to, to DM? Uh, you've been playing for years and years and years and years and years. Did you feel ready to go because of all the D&D that you'd played on the other side of the screen, or was there trepidation? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely trepidation. It, it's a whole new, it's it, you know, similar skill set, different brand. Right. You know, you're, you're kind of just being on the other side of that. Um, 
Yeah, and it's nerve-wracking, especially considering a lot of us are cutting our teeth, DMing live on camera in front of thousands, which wouldn't recommend to anybody, to be totally honest. Uh, so, yeah, you, you have a little bit of that. That anxiety of oh oh no am I gonna am I going to royally mess this up and is this going to be fun for my players is this going to be enough is this what what is this going to be mm-hmm. um, but re- it really was kind of once you get through that first like ten minutes and you get rolling it's like a steam tra- steam train yeah takes a little bit and it's a lot of energy to get it moving. A little awkward. You're like sinking into character. You're figuring out how to narrate stuff. Right. I the DM is because I was 10 years old and every time I start a new campaign it's a familiar awkwardness. Yeah. Just no matter how much practice you get as a DM there's that first couple minutes of like new world we don't know how these characters New world who dis. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. And I mean and I feel like that's it with with almost everything. I, I I would say you know, listen to your trepidations, mm-hmm. acknowledge them. It's okay to have them, but it's very much in the same breed of trepidation that you would have getting started in anything. I mean, it's first date awkward, you know? <laughs> it doesn't mean that after the first 10 minutes, you know, or when you, n- nothing's worse than trying to figure out how you're gonna start an improv show or like a stand-up routine. You're like, okay, how now? And it starts. <laughs> So there's always that moment of, and it's a thing now. You just got to keep pushing through You got to push through it. You just got to keep pushing through. I absolutely agree. Um, Was there any part of being a GM that was something like that either, whether you anticipated it or not, like what struck you moving from player to GM as being the most different in terms of like your mind state, your emotional state when you're doing one versus the other? Because I certainly feel like even though we're all playing the same game, one side or the other of that screen is so different in terms of what sure. it feels like to play. Yeah, absolutely. I think my the thing that they always that DMs will always tell you is You'll plan, you'll plan, you'll plan, and you think you have an idea on how it's going to go down, and then your players will throw something out of left field immediately, and it all goes out the window. And I had heard that, and I had heard that, and you know, I was talking with Matt, and I was having him kind of give me pointers as I was getting set up. Couldn't really show him my story, though, because he was a part of that first one. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, just be prepared for them to do something that you are not anticipating. Ten minutes in, into the game, get to the outside, and I was like, okay, I'm really planning on this being like an infiltration stealth stealth type mission of the bears breaking in and doing this. Ten minutes in, Liam and Sam start pelting the town guards with their poo. They start throwing feces at the guards. And then you start, and then I, very quickly, I had to be like, this entire game that I more or less planned out to be a stealth infiltration mission is completely out the window because I knew, like, there's no way that you're going to have a pack of bears roll up to a town, start attacking the guards and throwing them with shit, and not have the entire town on high alert. <laughs> so, I, I, so you know, once again, you're still kind of going what we were talking about before. Like, yes, it's a cartoon, but there are still... There's still logic. Yeah. I still had to 
justify that, that, okay, and then you, you just kind of adjust from there. And to me, what's so interesting is I, I, I honestly feel that a, that a dungeon master and a player are almost playing, you could, you could almost say they're playing two different games. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, and, and I see this as someone who is much the reverse of I've mostly DM'd and rarely played, and relish the opportunities when I get to play. And sometimes people will say like, like when you're being a player character, it's like, it's like imagination. And I always go like, no, don't make me imagine anything. I don't, I do that enough. <laughs> Please let me just immerse. Just, yeah, be. Be. I just 100%. want to be. And to me, I think actually the, the words I would use are imagination and immersion. Mm. Being, a, being a DM is imagination because I don't have a stake in anything as the DM other than my friends having a good time. So I'm like, I'm the weather, I'm this castle, I'm, an, I'm a villain, I'm an ally, just yeah. moving around, moving the story forward. And that feels like imagination because it's all whoosh, I'm just wherever I need to be. Yeah. When I'm a player character, so, sometimes I will have people that'll be like, Oh, as a player character, I think being a player character requires tremendous creativity, but it's similar to being an actor where the creativity is internal. I'm not really imagining, I'm deeply immersing and getting lost in this character. Absolutely. And then at a certain point, just making the decisions that they would make. Right. And uh, uh, you, so you have had this amazing experience of you, first of all, the holy grail of a regular (laughs) weekly game. Yes. Which is honestly just, forget about the live streaming aspect, just a regular game is a dream come true. I mean, part of the reason we ended Ended it. Sorry, part of the reason we even ended up doing the show is because we, I mean, we didn't anticipate anybody watching four hours of people playing D&D every week. We we're like, it's gonna fail, this is gonna be a failure. But part of the excuse of doing it was, but we'll get to meet weekly and we have to call it work. <laughs> okay, so that was such a huge uh boon. For, for even doing the show. Yeah. Uh, it's really incredible. And I think what's been amazing is not only, f- you know, we get as many questions about playing as we do about running yeah. these games. And I wanted to talk to you, just throw it to you in a more general way about the idea of you as a player have tackled some of the biggest challenges that players have to face, mm. which is number one, um, Starting and taking a character twentieth level. Yeah. Um, uh, dealing with player character death and sometimes perma death. Yeah. Uh, and dealing with in character romance. <laughs> All of these are things that are like the pinnacle achievements I would consider of being a PC in a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, uh, what were the things that like were the most exhilarating? What were the most exciting? And what would you throw out as advice to people that want to unlock those milestones for themselves as players? Man, that's an excellent question. <laughs> I was layered, Brennan. Lots uh, of layers. So many layers. <laughs> um, the immersion aspect is pretty much on point. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who want to try and get to that level, I think a lot of it has to deal with permission from yourself first. Um, especially being an adult in, in, in today's day and age, and I think so much, I think an unfortunate part of adulthood is that 
society and people around you eventually start telling you that imagination is juvenile Mm -hmm. or doing a voice like this might seem, you you know, immature. And I think people will start immediately, will often get embarrassed and feel like they, they can't allow themselves to do that for fear of making themselves look a fool. Yeah. That's where you have to start. You know, that any, you can't jump into something like exploring romance or, you know, even allowing yourself to feel, you know, we, we cry around the table all the time because we feel it so hard. And if you allow yourself to do that, mm-hmm. you will enrich your D&D experience tenfold. Just give yourself permission. And you're, you're at a table with people who will go with you on that and allow you that because they wouldn't have showed up otherwise. Yes. You know, they're, they, you already have permission just by sitting down and agreeing with these people, yeah, let's play D&D. You know, and I'm, things like if you want to start getting into something like a more serious role-playing experience, I recommend talking to your dungeon master and your fellow PCs on it. Some people might just want a dungeon crawl type of game that's a little bit more hack and slash, collect loot and level up, and that's great. It's you know, It can be a lot more low impact, but if you really want to get into that type of enriched RP experience. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with talking with your players and being like, are we down to do this? And just being on the same page. Um, I mean, and it's incredible. Like all the memories that I have as Keyleth, they feel just as real as my real life memories. I mean, at the end of the day, when we're all lying on our deathbeds and all we have are our memories, you can't tell me that the experience that I have fighting Kavarn with my comrades in the Underdark and remembering those killing blows and transforming into an earth elemental and jumping off a flying carpet, I remember that stuff just as vividly and I can see it if not more vividly than some of my real life experiences Uh, not to get all science dork about it but the center of your brain that processes like ocular visual input is the same center of your brain that is where your imagination Imagination. conjures images it's not two different areas like what you see from the world is being processed in the exact same center that processes the things that you imagine yeah uh, your mind's eye and your eye are the same damn place. Yeah. Um, Similar science-y thing. You store memories. They've done tests to see if you remember fiction in a different way, like movies or something, than your real life ones. But they're also still stored in the same place. All the so same. It's all the same. It's all the same. It's mm-hmm. so fucking cool. Um, this is we're going to go way into the past now to talk about because you're talking about there's that element of overcoming awkwardness uh-huh. but then at a certain point like if you arrive at that consensus with your DM and your players like hey we're interested in a story based RP heavy thing where we really allow ourselves to feel what these characters are feeling um 
do you remember what it was if what the process was like breaking into that level of attachment to Keyleth? And did you have to revisit that at all with Bo in the second campaign? Oh, sure. Well, you know, our home game when we were playing, you know, just kind of casually, it was it was casual. It was just like every other DM, you know, dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons game that uh, you probably have at home. Um, you know, we would laugh, we would make inappropriate jokes, and you know, it was all kind of a little bit more slapsticky. And then we had a moment in our home game when Ashley Johnson's character Pike died yeah. from a glabrezu. It's bisected in half. And it felt like everything changed. Our perception and our reality of what our game was because we all were in tears. Laura was on the... I'll never forget her being on the fetal position on the floor and she was just lying like this and Matt looks over to the table and he goes... Laura, you're next. Vex is up next. And she looks up from the ground and she goes, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and we're all like crying. And then I think that was when we realized, oh, we feel something for these characters. Yeah. And I don't think we had fully knew, had the realization. That's yet awesome. Until so it that snuck moment. up on you. It kind of snuck up on us. Like, when you all you stop and you all look around and you're like, we're crying over <laughs> imaginary people that do not exist. And I, yeah, I think that's when we, we started realizing how important it was. And then when we switched to the stream and made it weekly and then being doing on the show, honestly, one of the best things that the show gave us was it forced us to have to focus. Yeah. Because when we would do our games normally, they would be maybe bi-monthly, and we would block out a Sunday or a Saturday and play for eight hours. And those days were incredible, don't get me wrong. But that allowed a lot of room to, yeah, oh, this person's going, I'm going to go veer off in the kitchen, get yeah. some snacks, and then side conversations might happen. And, you know, it happens, and that's fine. We were also socializing so you would lose stuff from time to time. Yeah. But forcing us to put the phones away, allowing us to fully be immersed, that really started cementing who these people were even more, and we weren't waiting two months to visit them again. Yeah. So that was really when Keyleth started becoming this person in my head, and it, it felt like... It felt like my imaginary best friend yeah. that I knew just as deeply in some ways, but was also still learning who she was. Um, so that was kind of a journey. Uh, and yeah, when we when we switched to Bo, when we switched to the new campaign, we did a few session zeros at home to kind of start learning who these characters were. Because you can have an idea in your head but then you sit at the table, and as I always like to say, let's see what comes out. Yeah. Because sometimes you might think a character is going to be one thing, and then you get in there and you start playing them, and you're yeah. like, oh, they're they're this. So you know, once again, there's still a little bit of that 
learning curve. What was actually interesting when I switched with Bo, I had a few weeks where I started getting reticent about her and who she was and if I wanted to continue on with a character like that because I always talk all the time about how much I learned from Keyleth. Keyleth taught me a lot. Keyleth taught me how to be a better person. A hundred percent. Because like she's Keyleth is far more compassionate than I am towards people. And she has empathy, she you know, and and truly cares. And like I, I think there were several in, several instances where Keyleth was trying to understand and empathize with someone where I think Marisha might not have had the same amount of patience. So I actually, and then I I kind of got to understand people like Keyleth a little bit better in real life. She has a ton of insecurities and self-doubts and anxieties. And it kind of made me relate and understand people that I think I would get frustrated with in real life. That's awesome. And she, so she made me a better person. She was genuinely kind and good. For as much shit people, that was always the irony, is that for as much shit people gave Keyleth, she was just trying to do the right thing. She was always trying to figure out if what she was doing was the best thing that she could do. Then I switched to Bo, who has deep-seated anger issues. Yeah. And she has these walls that she throws up and she will she will be the asshole first and wants you to know that she's an asshole because she's assuming that if you get to know her you're going to think she's an asshole anyway, so she might as well control that situation. Right. Was kind of is where Bo is coming from. And there were a few games that I would leave from and I would kind of have a little bit of this like anger and frustration and it was like pissing me off yeah. like it like it inhabiting her. So I started getting oddly nervous, and I was like, do I want this person in my head for potentially the next three years? Yeah. And I I think I, I don't know, so much was defined by Keyleth that I, I did get nervous. And then I, so Bo ended up teaching me a whole new set of lessons of, I'm not defined by this character that I am playing. I can separate it. And eventually, with more time, and it's it's already happened, so this was, you know, post-thoughts, that I would think I would find empathy and start understanding people like Bo, you know, a yeah. little bit more. And it has. And, you know, and, and I was looking for her growth and where she would change. And I wanted to start her one way so that we could see where that would lead but yeah there was there was a hot second where i was like is this oddly toxic 
yeah. in a weird way. Well, there's a beautiful thing you just touched on right there, too, which is the idea of starting a character in one place with the no- certainly the knowledge imparted to you from running through an entire campaign to 20th level, but the idea that characters do change. Yeah. So wherever you start a character at first level is not where they're going to be at level three or four or five. And what level were you guys at in campaign one when you fought the Glabrazoo, when Pike died? Probably like seven. So think about the seven. idea of like yeah, going through seven yeah. seven levels of adventuring. Uh, that's remarkable. And then this event happens that totally changes everybody. Right. And. I don't know, there's a beautiful thing in improv, we talk about this all the time, which is that when you're playing a character, even something like, really different from yourself, (laughs) right? It's still always you. My favorite metaphor for character playing has always been that characters are translucent and not opaque, where they're like stained glass, right? And in this Mm. metaphor, it's sort of like you, the person, are the light behind the stained glass. And what the character is, is it's always still you, but the colors and shapes and the way things are arranged changes and the light shines through differently. Yeah, it's a great metaphor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> but that idea, too, of like every kid. So it's this weird thing where it's like every character you play is weirdly an examination of a piece of you. A piece of mm-hmm. you, right? And it's almost like me if, right? Yeah. When I've played lawful good characters, chaotic good characters, chaotic evil characters, it's always, to me, the challenge is always like, oh, how do I get there? Yeah. Right? Uh, I play this chaotic evil pirate character, and the, I joked to my brother about it who was running that campaign where I was like, yeah, what if you were born a genius in the lowest like class of a society with no class mobility and being and you were abused at every level you were in the navy committed atrocities and war crimes oh. and the only chance for social mobility was to be a criminal and it's like oh okay like look at, just looking at these ways of like okay i'm taking me and i'm adding this voice and i'm adding this physicality let's let's bring down compassion by 40% right. <laughs> let's bring up impulsivity by yeah. 75 and you're just kind of messing with these dials yes. until suddenly you get a character but what people don't realize is like even in D&D the reactions are always genuine they're just filtered through this stained glass right right and I, and I think touching on what you were saying with like it's you're the light I think that's what freaked me out for a hot second about Bo mm-hmm. and I was almost afraid I was tapping into the worst parts of me yeah and it's like do I want to continue to explore this and you know my metaphor i say the same thing like you still have to it's still you and you know matter cannot be destroyed or created it can only change change shapes you have to have a fuel and so that's still going to be coming from somewhere inside in your own life experiences um but i think that the beauty and the joy of that and i deeply believe in a lot of the therapeutic Benefits mm-hmm. of tabletop RPGs, yeah, because it does give you a safe space to explore some of these facets of you in a relatively consequenceless, yeah, environment. 
No, I mean, all that role-playing stuff does bring you into these places where you get to explore what would happen if you reacted differently. Yeah. And and having that space for exploration is so important. I, I'm going to move to audience questions, yeah. which kills me because there's <laughs> so much left on the table here uh, to discuss. Uh, but I, everything you're saying, I so deeply appreciate, and it makes so much sense. Um, this. Uh, so if you're watching this, you could have watched it two weeks earlier on dropout.tv. That's right. Why didn't you do that? Yeah. Um, uh, I got dropout. Marisha's got dropout. I do. I got dropout. Mm -hmm. What's the holdup? Come hang out. I like it. I'll uh, watch D20. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Great. Uh, watch that rank room. Uh, good. It's real good. Mm -hmm. It's real it's good. good. It's real good. Real good. Um, this one's, uh, so our our questions are all submitted on our dropout exclusive Discord server. This one's from AC Clutch. Thanks, AC Clutch. <laughs> How do you keep your players from going down a path that they think is relevant to the campaign when in actuality it's a meaningless route? Do you plan out a few fail-safes to redirect your players back to the storyline, or do you just let them figure out for themselves that what they are doing isn't helpful? Thanks, AC Clutch. Hmm. This is a charged one. It is charged. Um, I would say there are no meaningless routes. We've got very zen in here. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hell yeah. So yeah. what does that mean to you? So like, uh, 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 can you think back to any moments in these campaigns of like, oh, we really went down the wrong tunnel in the rabbit hole. Like this was not the fruitful way to go and now we have to double back our steps to find the story again. It's, it's an excellent question. I think like the closest thing that we've really done towards like sometimes we will get a little overly attached on a detail. Sure. Um, for anyone who's caught up on on Critical Role, the chair, <laughs> the chair. You know, it was it was nothing. There was nothing special about this chair, and we were all convinced there was something about this chair. But Matt let us go down it. Yeah, and then eventually he was through DMing was, as we were saying before, he doesn't want to make the no, so roll for it. Roll to see if you figure anything out about this suspicious chair. And then eventually he let the dice give him permission to say, seems like a pretty ordinary, non-special chair. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like this question kind of harkens back to what we were saying at the beginning of all of that, which is, don't tell your players no. Yeah. Let them let them do it. They'll get, the worst that can happen is they'll laugh or they'll learn that lesson later on in the future. You do still want to give your players these learning experiences. Absolutely. And I think too with the chair, like I don't think anyone had a bad time with the chair. And in fact, the chair yeah. is one of the most beloved moments yeah. from camping. Yeah. The amount of fan art. The chair art. has fan art. The chair yeah. has fan art. So like uh, these moments where people are like being detoured from right. the main storyline, yada, yada. I would say like you guys got to, you have a bus to catch? Like a detour is fine. Yeah, You're give it, yeah, give it, do a detour. If you feel like you want to keep them a little bit more on track and you want to teach them these lessons about meandering, set a consequence. There should still be an essence of time in all of these games. Yeah. If they mess up, they don't do their research, they go down a long path and an hour later they realize this was a fruitless thing. Maybe the bad guy that they were chasing is in another city now. He managed to 
get in that teleportation circle and he's gone. And then your players will realize, oh, okay, maybe we should have researched this better. Maybe we should have explored other options before we committed to this one. But I think you do still have to, you have to allow it and you have to let them learn from themselves. Absolutely. And I would say too that the, the, uh, a good rule of thumb, and you know, at least once twice per episode, we try to get like a real nuts and bolts like tip for people running games. So here's yeah. my here's my nuts and bolts ones for this episode. To the best of your ability, never have uninteresting consequences. Right? If some if they've invested 100%. a lot of time and energy into something, try to make that result in something. Now, let's say that your what I was the judgment I would make is this. If the PCs have gone down the wrong fork, right. you as a DM owe it to them to run back in your head and say, is this actually my players fucking up? Did I make clues really explicit and they have missed something or there's some mistake that was made that really means they made the wrong choice? Right. Because if they did and they take the wrong route and then you punish them with like, oops, you went the wrong way and the villain- and there's nothing or yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the villain got something, I know this sounds crazy, it will actually be satisfying to the players if you as the DM can go back and say, remember that clue back there? Because then the PCs go, oh, uh, no! Yeah, 100%. That actually is fun for players. Yeah. Be, what isn't fun is you're like, no, you picked wrong. There was no clue that you could have picked the other one, but yeah. you did it a coin flip and well, you picked wrong. Well, why did you build this tunnel in the first place? Right, exactly. Why is it here then? So yeah. I think the idea is, it weirdly, because it sounds very judgmental, but if there's actually, if you can go like, no, there's something I'll be able to point to that the players mm -hmm. missed, that they'll kick themselves over, yeah. punish them. If you know that they won't be able to kick themselves and they're just gonna go like, all right, I guess we were fucked because yeah. we didn't know. Because we just wasted time? Yeah, I just yeah. wasted time. In that case, I would say don't punish them. And in fact, the other thing I would say is, a lot of times that they t make the wrong call, go down a different fork in the road, consider very carefully, could the clue be down yeah, that fork? fork? Mm -hmm. Could it? Uh, or let's say uh -huh. it's it's totally inconsequential, could you add some other detail? Like let's say they go down the wrong fork. Okay, yes, that's the wrong fork. Is there a secret trap door at the end of that fork that if right. they find leads back to the right fork? Totally. Because I think the thing you don't want is you get to the end of the wrong path, whatever that path is, either a literal path or just a narrative path. Right. You never wanna get to that and then they go like, okay, let's walk all the way back to where we fucked up. Yeah. Yes. And take the left where we took the right. Yes. Try to avoid that where you can, I think. Yeah. Either through <gasps> secret opportunity, there's a trap door in the wrong path that you took, or by punishing them with you missed something. Right. I think anywhere in the middle of those two extremes can be a little bit of a womp womp. For sure. And you're you're the DM. You still have control. It's your world. We're just walking through it. You know, <laughs> if like you said, if you if they miss an NPC, if they miss a clue. They, we don't know if you're gonna move it somewhere else. Like they're the information's they they don't know. It's not gonna hurt them none if you move it. You see that same barkeep you saw yeah. in the other town. He's opened a new bar yeah, here. He's, he's working a double shift. <laughs> you know, he's got two kids. It's, I still have all these clues. Taxes from the are other high in Schultz, you know. It's yeah, uh, <laughs> work work two shifts. You know, like you can justify anything. You yeah. can justify anything. I agree. Um, 
Question from a DM. Oh, so this one's from Extreme Otter. Thank you, Extreme Otter. Extreme. Extreme Otter. Cracking all kinds of clams on my chest with rocks. Um, question from a DM running their first ever campaign. All five of the members of my party use D&D Beyond. Hell yeah, D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond. Uh, a website that works like a virtual character sheet or some other virtual character sheet and rules app. The extra help was useful at first, reminding us about important details of spells and abilities. But now it's becoming a problem for me as a DM. My players are often distracted. I've seen them on Facebook and watching sports on their laptops when the party splits or combat has a lot of enemies. They just disconnect from the session, and I have to waste time bringing them up to speed. All the players really like D&D Beyond and are still new to the game. What should I do? Should I make it a paper-only game? Can I even do that without the consent of my players? Extreme Otter. Thanks, Extreme Otter. Uh, It's an excellent question, and really... I, I wouldn't blame D and D Beyond or the iPads. I don't think it's, it's not the program's fault. Um, even if you switched to a paper game, like I was talking about, from when we were at home and we were playing our eight-hour games, we were doing pen and paper, and we would still get distracted. You still have your phones. Yeah. You know, they they can still look that up and get on Twitter. Um, I think this is less of a problem about the medium in which you use your character sheet and more of an issue of respect. And I think it's just, I I think a lot of players, and we were like this a little bit too, um, and you know Matt had to have the talk with us a long time ago when we were still playing at home. I don't think players are intentionally, intentionally trying to be distracted or disrespect the work you've put in. I think some don't honestly understand the full time and effort and work that DMs put into these stories that they're building for you as a gift. Yeah. And you are totally within your right to be real about that. Yeah. And just tell them. And I think just having a conversation and being like, hey guys, I spent all of Wednesday night, spent six hours putting this together. How would you guys feel if when we're at the table, we take this as an opportunity for all of us to disconnect and we have a phone bucket. We, yeah. you know, put your your stuff in, in airplane mode, yeah. you know? Um, I, I think that's fair. If, you know, we have specific little iPad minis just for our character sheets for the show and we make sure that we don't have the social media apps on there. It's awesome take it off it's not needed so I, I really think that that's just a question or just a clarification do it nice do it respectively do, you know respectably you don't need to scold your players but just be like hey guys yeah put a lot of work into this maybe we can focus a little I think that's completely <laughs> completely like understandable and you're well within the rights a couple points in that question I would say first of all do everything with your players consent so talk to them talk to them talk to them every almost every answer to these sort of how to run a game things is talk to them yeah Uh, talk to your players Um, I would say another thing too and this is because I have experience um I will trust that this person has seen these apps negatively impact play at the table. But I do want to raise one little 
asterisky concern, yeah. which is that the presence of these apps does not necessarily mean anything by itself. If you are seeing it sap and drain concentration and focus, that's one thing. But I, I worked a long time ago at a LARP camp where we did an event uh, for a group of uh, awesome participants that were on the autism spectrum. Yeah. One of the participants, uh, we would have long like world background lectures where it'd be one staff member to, you know, talking about Gal Gadot and the, the realms of Gal Gadot. <laughs> And this great, uh, this great participant, um, whenever we were sitting for more than two or three minutes, he would get up and walk around and do what's called stimming, right? He would just shake his hands, and he couldn't look right at whoever was talking. Um, and the average speaker is going to look at that and be like, oh, this is disrespectful. I'm not being listened to. No, this participant was fully listening. Uh, uh, the physical stimulation of walking and looking at different parts of the room and shaking his hands was part of how he was allowing himself to even be able to focus. Sure. So there's a thing of checking in with your players about like, don't assume X, Y, or Z is gonna help your players focus. I have one player in my long running game where if I don't let this dude surf the web, he will just leave. <laughs> he will just, <laughs> like, that's actually helping him stay in the room. Yeah. I know that might seem a little bit like, I, I think it's a hard call to make. So the only thing I would say here is use your best judgment. The presence of fidget cubes fidget and cubes, yeah. spinners, mm -hmm. the presence of doodling. Like, yeah. like, ask yourself why you would let a player doodle but wouldn't let a player check Facebook Really sure. Quick, right. Um, so I would say be aware that people have different bandwidths of attention and focus. Yeah. And it's based on what makes them the most comfortable. So so accommodate that. Um, but I think definitely if you can actually see the game suffering, I think the one thing is if you go your turn and a player looks up from whatever and goes, what? What's happening? Yeah. They go, oh, I, I attack that knoll over there. And you're like, that knoll has been dead for four rounds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I think that the, the proof is in the pudding where regardless of, of like how we all manage our attention, if a player is obviously not paying attention and you can tell because you have to recap the entire battle every time right. a round opens up and it's further slowing down battle, um, that is something that you should, I think, uh, uh, address. And then you can say, what's sapping our focus and attention at the game? Sure. How do we rededicate to each other? I'll also, the last thing I'll say here too is, if you are a DM uh, and find that people are losing focus and attention, if they're losing focus and attention in your role-playing scenes, um, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this to, I guess, victim blame DMs, but right. I would say if your players are losing a lot of focus, uh, uh, have a talk with them about refocusing, but then also meet them halfway by making sure that your role-playing encounters have twists or have engaging characters, yeah. and I would say make more of your combats deadly. That'll wake them up. That's a good, ooh, that is an excellent tip, actually, yeah. <laughs> People lose focus in battles yeah. that don't have a risk of death. People will look up from their fucking phones if someone starts making death saves, Hell and yeah. that's a fact. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, there it really is that engagement factor. There might be little things, like we, we use music on the show, but that was constant, even at the home games. Matt yeah. always had a playlist. Um, there's nothing, you know, you might be surprised how much setting the mood a little bit yeah. might kick up that immersion a little bit more. You know, when we were playing at our home games, we would play music, I would light some incense, Ugh. light some candles, you know, there, like sometimes that little stuff can yeah. actually 
push it over the edge. It you know, re- it really, really can't. All those little things help. They create a feeling of intentionality. Yes, it's an event. It's an event. We're yeah. all here together in this moment. I love. I think that's so critical. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, this hour has it truly, flew, it's it gone. truly flew what by. Happened? My God. Well, <laughs> we have we'll ha- so much more to talk we about. So much more to talk about. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, anytime. Uh, my guest today has been Marisha Ray. Marisha, thank you so much for coming. Thank Yay. you so much for being Huzzah. Huzzah. This has been Adventuring Academy. We'll catch you guys next time. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.